Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from the 12 by 12 Picture Book Writing Challenge. This month, I'm excited to welcome our newest sponsor, 12 by 12 Picture book authors need to be fairly prolific to be published. That's why members of 12 by 12 aim to write one picture book draft a month. Through an online forum, monthly webinars, a private Facebook group, and more, members enjoy the accountability, support, and motivation of a fantastic community of authors and illustrators. Registration is only open in January and February. Visit 12by12challenge.com slash membership for more information. That's 12x12challenge.com slash membership. Support also comes from Storyteller Academy. Learn the art of storytelling from published authors, illustrators, and editors at Storyteller Academy. Sign up today at StorytellerAcademy.com. Yay, well, welcome back home. Thank you. You're right by yeah. the airport now. It's wonderful. Exactly. That's how, that's, I know, that's how I know Burlington. I was like, oh yeah, that's where I fly in. I know that place. <laughs> <laughs> And you're closer to Casey, in case you know you have. Yes, we have actually seen each other twice since uh, I've moved back, so it's been great. I was gonna say if you ever yeah. need a ride from the airport, but that's awesome that she also <laughs> you connected with her. Casey gave you me a know, ride. You know, I would pick him up. I would. I'm a good airport runner. I am looking forward to it the second time around. I hope you don't mind. Excellent. <laughs> I'm shining a light on small presses, those niche publishers who may only make a small handful of books a year. It's at these small houses where mission statements are worn on the sleeves of the folks behind the curtains. And it's at these small houses that I often find the books that feel the most personal, the most unique, the most like they have something to say to the world. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 485. I'm your host, Matthew Winner, and today I'm joined by Rob Broder and Casey W. Robinson. Rob is the co-founder of Ripple Grove Press, an independent publisher creating beautiful picture books since around 2014. Longtime listeners of the podcast might recognize Ripple Grove from my interview with Katie House in September of 2017, her grandmother Thorne. Joining us also is Casey W. Robinson author of Ivor and Ellsworth, which published in 2018 from Ripple Grove Press. Hearing the journey of a story from idea to publication at a small press captures a certain sense of intimacy and wonder. 
and I think much of that is captured in this conversation. We also talk about some of Ripple Grove's other books, including The Full House and The Empty House, a picture book debut by L.K. James coming in February that has already taken center stage in our elementary school library. Please welcome my guests, Rob Broder of Ripple Grove Press and Casey W. Robinson, author of Ivor and Ellsworth. My name is Casey W. Robinson. The pronouns I use are she, her, hers. And I am the author of the picture book, Ivor and Ellsworth, published by Ripple Grove Press. Uh, My name is Rob Broder, Uh, he, his, and uh, I am the publisher of Ripple Grove Press, a children's picture book publishing house. Rob, I think you and I met a couple years ago, right? We met with Grandmother Thorne, this beautiful book written by, at that point, my, my colleague at All the Wonders, Katie House. And I was so grateful to make the connection with you. That book is gorgeous. It's so beautiful. And to have this moment to talk with Casey as well, who um, likewise has such a beautiful and very different book from that. Uh, I'm really grateful, Rob, that, that our paths have crossed and that um, that I get to see this. I get to see where your heart is behind these books that you're helping to share with the world. Thank you. Casey, also, your book is amazing. I've told you that a bunch of times. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's I a... like to hear it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Casey, I need you to tell the good people listening a little bit about Ivor and Ellsworth. Could you share just a book talk for what this story is? And then we're going to get into what it's about. Ivor and Ellsworth is a story about an old man, Ivor, who works in a factory and his friendship with a giant inflatable bear that is strapped to the roof of the factory. It's a very quirky story of friendship, and um, it's also a story about change and loneliness and about the unexpected thrill of new beginnings. Can I ask you both, before we go any further, have either of you found belonging or love or friendship or just companionship with an inanimate object? Because I can say without a doubt that I have from not just childhood, but as an adult as well. And I'll share mine (laughs) if you don't mind sharing yours first. (laughs) Because mine are totally going to embarrass me. (laughs) All right, you go first. (laughs) Casey, what what things have you what things have been important in your life? Uh, other than books, <laughs> do books count? <laughs> have you had books that are that are a part of you? I believe that. Yeah, I've had. Um, I can't think of a time when I wasn't propped up in some way by books on shelves all over my room my house, my apartment, and now the home I share with my family. Um, They're everywhere, overflowing, every room, unapologetically so. (laughs) I think 
I think, you know, I had, uh, I had a lot of stuffed animals when I was a kid, but I, the books are the first thing that come to mind. That's awesome. I'm glad that books have were and have remained that, that companion to you. Rob, how about you? Anything in your life that, that, that sticks out? Well, I did have a stuffed animal that I liked, and it's actually now in my daughter's room. Uh, it's just a little, very small dog um, named Chocolate, and uh, it just sits on her shelf, uh, looking over all at, at, all, at her other stuffed animals. Um, so that's what sticks out. I, I too, had a, a stuffed animal as a child, Lamb Chop, just a, a little fuzzy lamb. <laughs> that you could wind up its tushy and it would play a lullaby. Um, and I I can remember the feel of Lamb Chop and how Lamb Chop fit in my in my arms. Um, and growing up, the two things I just keep thinking as an adult, when I read Ivern Ellsworth, Ellsworth, my Ellsworth was, or is perhaps, a tree at my grandmother's house that we used to swing from. There was a... Uh, 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 ropes extended from, I guess, when my dad was a kid, he, he used to share with us. But um, my brother and I, we would swing on that tree. And I remember when that tree came down, it had just gotten so old and, and I guess hollow inside and had to be taken down. And just how it felt um, going to that homestead and seeing that, that thing missing, it just felt like a part of me was missing. Mm. Right? Yeah. Uh, and then... I moved in high school and I wouldn't have predicted now as a man in his late thirties that still this thing would be something that is on my mind a lot. But, um, we, I grew up in the, I spent most of my childhood in this, this one house in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. And, um, I feel like I could still draw the inside of that house. I can map that house for you and map all the places that I would hide and play with my brother and things like that. And um, when we moved that house, that was, I guess, the house that imprinted on me. And so um, the few times that Amy and I, that my wife and I have gone back to Williamsport, Pennsylvania, uh, we would drive by that house because I would, because as we drove by, I could feel the connection still there with, with that, that thing that couldn't directly love me back or couldn't, couldn't be maybe an active companion in my life. But this book, Casey, this book awoke those memories in me. This idea that you've got, that you're writing for two characters and one is inanimate and, and, and yet is the recipient of so much love and perspective and companionship of Ivor, of this man who's, who's watched over this building for so many years in his life. I think that's part of, part of what captivated me about the characters. Um, when I was writing it, the characters came to me first. So I had a very clear sense of both Ivor and Ellsworth, and I, I had no idea what to do with them or what the story was about them. And so the early drafts had to do with um, figuring out who they were and then figuring out what their relationship was and, and, 
and then how to carry that into the world and what happens when you do. But why so, did you wait? Why did you have? Why did why did a inflatable? <laughs> why did a giant inflatable bear come into your mind? <laughs> and you said, "That's what I'm going to write about." Where yeah, did an inflatable uh, bear good, come into your mind? This is a, I have a good answer for that. Okay, there is. <laughs> a factory in Worcester, Massachusetts that I drive by all the time um, on my way out of Massachusetts, usually, you know, heading to New York or Connecticut. And it's a polar seltzer factory. And on the roof of the factory is one of their polar seltzer bears. And we drove by one day and my kids, we, you know, were captivated by it. And I've seen it a thousand times. And that this particular day, I just started to think about how lonely that bear must be and who, who would take care of it and what kind of story that that bear had. And I started feverishly jotting down this the beginnings of the story from there in the car. I was not driving. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... And it's it's so fun for me now doing school visits in, in the local area with kids who know that bear. So oh. they have had their own experience with a bear on a factory roof. And it's really fun because they have this sort of magical reaction to the relationship between a story and the possibilities in real life. It's sort of like a magical bridge. So we have all kinds of really fun discussions about, you know, where do you get stories and, and, and that relationship between, you know, what the pages breathe into you as a kid and, and what you're able to, to take from the real world. That part's been really fun. So where did the names come from then? Because it strikes me that the names are, are unique, are, are names I, I hadn't heard before. Yes, Ivor. So I have, I have, I have a list. <laughs> Rob, Rob, you're laughing. Were you thinking Stop maybe laughing. something? It was not submitted as Ivor and Ellsworth. It was not submitted. <laughs> really? Submitted, yes, it was submitted as Ivor and Orson. And Orson was the name is actually the name. Apparently, it's trademarked of of that polar seltzer bear. So we didn't want to mess with that. So we, Rob and I had all kinds of back and forth brainstorming about what to name the bear. And ultimately Ellsworth was Rob's suggestion. I'm a, let, I'm a Deadwood, I'm a Deadwood fan. Uh, HBO's show uh, Deadwood and they have all these old timey names yes. from the 1880s. <laughs> and there's this one guy named Ellsworth it's and I forever. just blurted yes. it out and Casey, I, and Casey just said, yes. And that was yes, it. because for me, I grew up in Maine, and Ellsworth is a is a town I used to drive through to get to Bar Harbor, and so I have I had my own association with the word and the and and that meaning, and I knew I wanted something with a vowel to begin, and I wanted an old timey name and something that wasn't you know it just felt right. So, but we went through a lot of names, didn't we, Rob? <laughs> we did. We did. We did. <laughs> The, um, the name Ellsworth too. Ivor is such a quick name, mm-hmm. and Ellsworth that double consonant, the two L's allow it to to last a little longer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the I and the E actually kind of slightly resemble their their figures too. That's interesting to say that. Yeah. Yeah, I never thought of that. I like that. Oh, that all worked out perfectly then, didn't it? 
couldn't have been. It was all been. by plan. It couldn't have been Orson. How about that? So at what point was this story to a position that you were ready to submit it? Because I I can't wait to hear that that connection of, of what took you from here to even knowing about Ripple Grove and, and, and feeling like they were the the fit you were looking for for this story i watched a webinar uh that was part of julie headland's 12 by 12 group um writing challenge group for for picture book writers which i love and highly recommend um rob did a webinar on repel grove press and why he and amanda started it and what books they loved and wanted to see more of in the world. And just, I, I watched it and the timing was really good because I just gone through probably, it probably took me two months to write this story, which is a pretty short amount of time. But, um, I was coming to the point where I knew I was ready to submit and I had started to really think about where, where it might belong. And I watched this webinar and I just had a good feeling I, I just had a good feeling about about Ripple Grove and and Rob in particular, and so that was that was the first place I submitted actually um, was was to Ripple Grove. Rob, can you remember getting this manuscript? Pretty much because it it stuck out to me. Um, I I read so many submissions, and the first few lines really have an effect on me no matter what the submission is, if I can continue going. And Ellsworth is a rooftop bear is the first line. And Casey, correct me if I'm wrong, that we never changed the first line. No. I mean, I know we, we tweaked a couple of sentences here and there, but um, it just spoke to me. So I, I, when I get excited about something, I send it over to Amanda and I say, please read this um, and let me know you, what you think. You know, you have to keep going on that line. Can I, do you mind? I have it in front of me. Do you mind if I read a couple more pages, Casey? Sure. Sure. Because there's this beautiful way that you introduce the two, the bond of the two characters that I just, I adore. Um, It starts, Ellsworth is a rooftop bear. Underneath him, a factory hums and a man bustles. The man's name is Ivor. Ivor and Ellsworth are good friends. At noon, Ivor climbs the stairs to the factory roof. Good afternoon, old pal. He says to the giant bear. See, I love that. Old pal. Good afternoon. But this is like <laughs> what looks to be just like a, I mean, it's just a plump white bear. <laughs> but to assign age to something, it just, it, it shows, it shows that it's been there. And then your eyes start following and looking at the, the patches that are like on the, the rump of the bear and things like that, that you can see. That there's age there, but I, I don't know. Just the way those two come together feels so nice to me. Because the, okay, so for those that have not seen it yet, your art starts out square on this bear, and then on the adjacent page, we are on the the street level, looking up a factory to the top where this bear is almost like a smokestack. So then to bring the two together up there, I don't know. There's just something. And it, and please, I'd love to say right now that it's also the brilliance of Melissa Larson. Absolutely. Oh, without doubt. Yeah. Without we can't, a doubt. We can't talk um, about this art without sharing 
her great work. Uh, we, I'm, I was searching on the, the Children's uh, Society, Children's Writers uh, Portfolio website, and um, she was there, and I just reached out to her because she had this, um, before I even reached out to her, in my mind, and I think Casey's mind as well, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it had like a Norman Rockwell feel. Um, some like Ivor was going to be somebody that you would see in one of Norman Rockwell's old soda shop uh, paintings. Right. That's what always resonated with me, just by her, just by Casey's words, is what I was picturing. And so when I saw Melissa's portfolio, I just I reached out to her, and that was that. And then her first sketches when she read Ivor, and then she sent over some rough sketches. We didn't ever. I don't even think we changed Ivor. I was like, perfect. That's it. That's who. That's who Ivor is. What great kismet! That's wonderful. Well, I think she did a beautiful job, and I would also point out um, that she she delivered one of the most beautiful case covers to take off the jacket and to have that moment, Casey. I think when you and I met it at SCBWI in New England. I, I hope that I had the chance to share that with you there. It was the first time I saw the book, but even now when I look at it, it's so striking, that case cover. It so much feels like all along it's been us looking at their relationship, at the relationship of these two individuals. There are moments in picture books that sometimes feel like we're a part of the story and we have a stake in the story and in helping move it forward, and other times when, when we are silent observers and this happens to be the latter, and it's such a beautiful choice to do it that way. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I like it. It's good stuff. Rob, when you when when you had this book, um, well, why don't we stop and just talk a moment about Ripple Grove? Because where I was going to go is is that you chose this book. You don't publish a whole lot of books every year. And so to choose this one uh, indicates to me you know, at least on some level, what it meant to you. But do you want to first back us up a little bit and talk a little bit about founding Ripple Growth? Sure. Um, I honestly, I came home one day um, and said to my wife, Amanda, uh, I have something I want to tell you. You stew on it <laughs> if you want. And uh, how about we try to start a children's picture book publishing company uh, and we just learn it. We figure it out. We find these artists um, that may not be found by large presses, and we find these authors that keep submitting and never get heard. And let's see what happens. And one week later, um, Amanda brought it up. She was like, you know how you told me about that children's picture book uh, idea? And I was like, yeah. She's like, it's not that bad. And I was like, right, right, okay, totally. We should totally do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. And she was like, okay, all right. <laughs> and uh, we, I went out and I bought books on publishing. I booked, bought books on starting your own business. And um, I, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, Matthew, from, the, from really early on, I was driving around Whole Foods tacking up, um, we're accepting submission postcards at the Whole Food. Uh, you know how they have like the yeah. cork boards? Yeah, the community so boards. So I was, I was, I was going... <laughs> I was going to those the, the community boards and tacking up, hi, we are a new press and we're looking for submissions. Um, that, that early on, and I would stop by the Rhode Island School of Design. I spoke to them at the office, telling them maybe their students might want to submit to me. I'm starting a press. Um, and then we got a, 
then we reached out to Writer's Digest and they did a small post like this new press is accepting submissions and then like that was it. And then Oh, we that started, opened the floodgates. Okay. It opened the floodgates yeah. and we started receiving submissions to our inbox and, and um PO box as well. Um what year, so what we year did was all that? The, sorry, I'm gonna sorry. interrupt. I'm, uh, I was just asking what year it was. Two thousand thirteen we kind of started everything. Okay. And then a little then, much over a year later we released our first book. Okay. Which is The Gentleman Bat. The Gentleman Bat. Which rhymes. And um so that's really that's really what we wanted. I had read um this is a true story. A Sick Day for Amos McGee by Philip and Aaron Stead. Um I came home I bought the, I bought the book and I, I our daughter at the time was two years old and that was the book I said to Amanda I said I want to make stories that are like this that are timeless that you can read over and over and over that are just so beautifully illustrated and just uh, just the story just just I, I can read that a thousand times and I said, I want to find writers that don't, that don't have a, that may not have a chance. I want to find these writers that tell stories like this. And I think Ivor and Ellsworth is exactly that. To, to um, match those tones. I, I mean, those are, that's a beautiful comparison. The, the, to write a book that is meant to be a forever book, that it's meant to just be around, not just a blip, but something that people will, will think about will return to uh that will become just like casey had all those books in her life that continue to be part of part of her <laughs> mm-hmm. oh that's great support for the children's book podcast comes from little feminist book club little feminist wants to help you diversify your child's bookshelf Each month, they send one to two books featuring characters of underrepresented backgrounds. Little Feminist spends months consulting with a team of educators, librarians, and parents to pick each book and create a suite of hands-on activities to accompany them. Whether it's treasure hunts or DIY musical instruments, the goal of the included activities is to make the stories come alive for both children and families. Each box is built around one to two books of the month that feature strong female characters and or people of color. Go to littlefeminist.com and use the coupon code WINNER for $5 off when you order or click on the link at matthewcwinner.com slash podcast to get started today. Raise good humans one children's book at a time. And from Viz Media. Viz is excited to announce that Pokemon Adventures, the most popular and longest-running Pokemon comic, is now available digitally. Visit viz.com Pokemon to read a free preview of the beloved All Ages series. That's viz.com Pokemon. Wow, so you published your first then in we were looking at like 2014 so you've just been uh you're still you're still new we're still new um but we're we have uh we came out with four books 2018 and we have four books coming out in 2019 how has the journey been so far for you it has been incredible (laughs) it's been great 
I love every aspect of it. Um, we don't have any employees. It's just me and Amanda. Um, and we do everything. We read the submissions. We, uh, I, we're the art director. I'm the communicator with the distributor that we, we have. Um, we do all the social media, all the sending out every single book for reviews. We do all the proofing for every book that we get. Um, so it's just us. It's just yeah. us, and it's great. So um, that's what it is. And right now, we—I mean, I'm currently looking for stories. I'm looking for something. I always people tell me like, "What are you looking for?" I'm looking for something different. And what I mean by that is, I mean you. Re this writer or illustrator reads picture books, and they're thinking outside the box, and giving me something like Ivor and Ellsworth, like Seb in the Sun. Um, like Grandmother Thorne, something just so sweet and different that someone would want to read over and over and, and years down the road. So Casey, I, uh, Ivor and Ellsworth is your debut. Um, so leading into this, we don't have a way to compare your experience with, with working with Rob as opposed to some other publishing house, but Right. This also significantly is your was your first experience working yes. with a publisher. So could you talk a little bit about as the author from 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 that side what was the experience like for you? When I was getting ready to send out submissions I I had this hope that wherever the story landed I would have someone carrying it around in their pocket the way that I had for so long. And the first conversation I had with Rob, that was very obvious that he had my characters and he had been carrying them around and thinking about them and getting to know them and had opinions about the story and in a way that came from a pretty deep understanding of who the characters were. And so that was my very first taste of what it's like when you your story finds the right home. And we had, <laughs> I'm speaking for you, Rob, but I know that you would agree <laughs> with me. We had so much fun. We had so much fun working on this story. What does that mean? And what does fun editing a story mean? That, as a teacher, that's the part that the children groan at the absolute most. When they turn in their perfect piece of work, and then I tell them, actually, if we edit this, we can make it even better. And they're like, ugh. So how, <laughs> tell me the secret. Tell me, not not the secret, but tell me how, describe fun for me. I can't wait to hear this. Okay. So one example, one good example, and we, we've talked about this. One good example was the very first call we had, Rob said, um, I have an idea for the second half of the book. What if we threw, you know, 150 words of yours out the window and we replaced them with wordless spreads? And it was a brilliant idea. And that's what we did. That and didn't exist that way before? No. That is a brilliant idea. <laughs> it was a brilliant idea. And so, and it was brilliant because it served the story. 
And the second he made that suggestion, it was, it's like a gust of air. It's, it's that sort of feeling of, oh my goodness, in, in that one suggestion, this story is already going to be better. That is a thrill. And so when we had, you know, even word choice conversations, that it was that same feeling, that same experience where, and we didn't always agree, but, but the, the, I guess the, the momentum behind it was always right, what was right for the story. And so get it, you know, it's so, it's such a lonely pursuit being an author, being a writer, you spend so much time in your own head and, and with your, your characters, um, to get to partner with someone who cares as deeply as, as Rob did about Ivor and Ellsworth and, and in a way is fun. So I, I've always loved revision though. I'm sure when I was in third grade, I rolled my eyes at that too, but I, I think there's, it's like polishing, you know, it's, it's, it's unearthing, it's archeology span of, of words and it's polishing and it's, it's honing. So what you have at the end of a, of a good revision process is something so much more beautiful than what you started with. Um, so that's, that's how it felt. And I, and I have to say, I mean, I feel, I feel a tiny bit spoiled by having had the, the experience that I had with, with a small press, because, you know, we talked about what kind of paper it should be printed on and, and <laughs> Rob, Rob printed it on lots of different kinds of paper, the illustrations and tacked them up on the wall and tried to see how they would look in different lights to make sure that what made Melissa's illustrations so amazing was what popped from that page. And so the care and feeding that went into every tiny little aspect of this book was remarkable. And so, and, and that's a gift for me because now I carry that as part of my own confidence as a writer and an author into my next experience. I'm grateful. It also felt so much like this beautiful trust experiment, editing, being able to, to know that this person has confidence in your work and they want to help make your voice come out even stronger. But to have, to have the thought on every square inch of this page, and I mean, I, I'm biased because I'm a fan of the book already, but I feel like you can just see it. I love that you said the, the feeling of this gust of wind, getting rid of those words, because it also is this, well, for lack of better terms, the scene where we lose the words is a deflating scene. And I don't mean that to be a pun about this inflatable bear, but the word is, <laughs> no, but we end with Ivor saying, or we leave that moment with Ivor saying, looking at the back of Ellsworth, looking at the back of this giant inflatable uh, polar bear and saying, I'm going to miss you, he says. And quite frankly, as a, as as the person that controls whether or not the page turns, that's a page that I don't want to turn because it feels like if I'm turning the page, I'm literally closing, closing the page on their relationship together. 
We have to trust that you, the author, you, the publisher, uh, that Melissa, the illustrator, won't let us down, won't leave us there. Right. But that's a very strong emotional moment. So to take away those words, Rob, um, I think when I when I first read it and was talking to Casey, I even said it was the magical thing that happened that I didn't even notice that the words were gone because I was just there. I was standing there. I was witnessing the story and to have that be seamless, to have words and art blend so much hand in hand that we sort of lose track of, of, of what is what. And we find ourselves immersed in the story. That is a gift that you give readers. And I'm, I'm grateful that the work you and Amanda and Casey did together and Melissa um, brought, brought that out in this story. Thank you. Uh, Matthew, even um, if you go to that page, the, the really beautiful spread when he's in his home and he's sitting in his living room with the fire going. Yes. All of that was me and Melissa because we wanted to, for the reader to really capture his life, the pictures that are on the fireplace mantle, what he, he could have possibly been through. Um, why is he living alone now? All can kind of maybe tell you that just by him sitting in his living room, if you look closely at all the little things, the, the army met the war medals um, and his record player and all of those things just were part of the discussion of what Ivor brought himself today being the person who takes care of the inflatable bear on top of the roof. Um, that was part of the storytelling. So if you, you talk about the wordless spreads, so, you know, it was talked about like he's sitting alone in the diner. I don't know if you, if you pick that up, um, uh, that's him in the window. Um, he's sitting alone in the movie theater or in the and in the park. Um, it was all discussed on what might be happening. Mm. Alone, alone, alone. And I'm looking at the pictures of of his wife on the mantel place. And um... so it's all in, in, it, it, we wanted it to be implied. We wanted it to be you know let your or even just when he's in his kitchen too. Um, all the little things, the the memories that he's had over the, you know, all the things that he's accumulated over the years. Well, and that everything is in its place, isn't it? <laughs> Except for the right. chandelier swinging. Everything, as right. I scans, every single thing is in its place, and it's it's static. It's there. It's even the 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 cloth draped over the chair is there. It's in its place. Right. This is one of the things I love. Uh, one of the things aspects I find most truly magical about picture books in particular when the author and the illustrator are two different people is all of those things are true to Ivor and and not all of them were discussed out loud from me to Rob so absolutely in my mind I imagined he he was a widower and that he was tidy and a man of routine and all, all of these things were all absolutely part of, of who he is as a character. It does not mean that, they had, that there were any words in the manuscript that was submitted indicating any of those things. But I think that that's what happens when you create characters that are real and, and in a way that readers connect. You know, they fill in all the shading and all the gaps and all of the, 
all the the details and to fill out to fill out the character and and that's what happened here too so when i saw when i saw that spread i'm still looking at it and noticing things that i didn't notice before and what a thrill that is <laughs> I, I mean matthew i mean even uh you know casey and i discussed about Ivor to really kind of, uh, Melissa was feeling too, but talking about Ivor, like, you know, maybe we're like movie directors, like we wanted more from somebody, but Ivor to us was somebody who, where the factory almost let him work longer than usual um, because he's just, he had worked there for, so we talked about like his history, like he'd worked at the factory and he should have retired maybe eight years ago, but, you know, his wife passed and, you know, they just let him just, you know, sweep and take care of things around the factory and go up and take care of Ellsworth. Like we talked about that. We talked about what type of person other than just making a picture book and drawing him and there's Ivor. It was like really discussed, like what did he do before taking care, you know, what did he do before taking care of Ellsworth and why is he, you know, he, we thought he, he definitely was there longer than, than he could have been. I like the implication that in order for this book to be ready to be published, Ivor's Ivor's life needed to be articulated that clearly. We would hope that the author, the illustrator, the person making that book does know that character. And maybe that's what keeps some books from being published or maybe what in, in that the pile of submissions that you had, maybe there are glimpses there of, manuscripts that you didn't connect with because the the character hadn't really taken root yet and maybe that's a a path the author still needs to travel to know their right. character more and it, and it, exactly and it made it feel real too there's sometimes i read stories and then people sometimes make things unrealistic but maybe they think it's funny or silly because a child might find it funny or silly when in fact it took away from the story because I was just looking for something. You, you started out really sweet and went and took a turn. Um, and there was no taking a turn here. It just, I, uh, what Casey was talking about before, I mean, I, I hope Casey felt and Melissa felt like my heart went into this book just as much as if I even wrote it. No um, doubt. I, <laughs> I feel like we could go on about this book for like <laughs> three more hours. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Case, you did a really beautiful job. And I, I, I think that not only to to write this story, but to, to find the right publisher that could care for this particular story the way that that Ripple Grove Press has been able to care for it, I think I think you know was just the right move. And I, I hope that um the that your future stories continue to connect with with just the right publisher. Uh, actually, I have a note from a friend about your future stories. Can I share this and embarrass you for a moment? <laughs> um, one of our mutual friends was uh, messaged me uh, today over social media, and she was like, I heard you're interviewing Casey tonight. This is our friend Heidi Stemple. <laughs> <laughs> and she said of you, I just wanted to make sure you hear this, um, because I know that, that you know, this book is out. I know you're continuing to work on new stuff. I don't know what has sold or what's going where. I don't know that story at all. But what I do know is that Heidi said and allowed me to share this, um, that you were at um, 
it says one of her manuscripts that I read for critique as part of our picture book boot camp, which is at highlights, is the first one I have ever said, quote, I have no comments. Don't change a thing. I love I love what that how that speaks to your thoughtfulness and your care in your writing, Casey. And I love that that <laughs> that quality in this story is what brought you and Rob together. And then Rob, I got a transition for you, ready? Okay. I can I can I can sense your heart because when I read you have a new book coming out called The Full House and the Empty House. L.K. James and that book likewise I think shares a heart like Ivor and Ellsworth does. There's a sweetness and a straightforwardness to it that um, that Thank I you. felt once again like their houses. <laughs> I shouldn't be feeling <laughs> weepy over houses and right. yet Casey yeah. have you had the pleasure of reading this yet? Not yet. Oh my word I Casey. Can't oh can't wait. Casey I read a book before you. Oh no! <laughs> Thank you, Matthew. It, she uh, she's that uh, LK submitted that to us as a as a little dummy, and I called her literally the next day. Yeah, and that was that. It's it it it's a beautiful story, and um, it comes out in February. We'll let other people discover it, find it, connect with it. I just found. To, uh, I've read your I've read many of your other public publications that I find that to lean into those stories where where you can feel the heart of the character which just <laughs> which just reveals the heart of of the bookmaker behind it uh to have these two houses just one empty one full and what it means to be a full house and what it means to be an empty house and more importantly what it means to be together what you can be to right, one another despite their differences despite exactly. their differences despite what it means um, whether you take it as an advantage or a disadvantage, as a as a great quality or as a lesser quality, to be full or empty, the fact that these two houses give to one another and allow the other to feel like they have more to give to 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 the other is just so great oh, in that book. Thank you. Oh, I, you can't see me, but I'm blushing. Oh, I love it. Oh, <laughs> word, it's so good. I um, I hope that you have many many years of continued success publishing these great books rob thank oh, you for doing the you. work you're doing to help get them out into the world and thank casey you. to turn to you as well um i know that this is the first of many but my word what a debut casey it's beautiful and i feel even from that moment almost a year ago when you first shared it with me i feel privileged to have read this story. We don't all get to read all the stories. We just can't, not all books find their way to all readers, but I am so grateful that this one found its way to me. Thank you so much. We've spent so much time talking about publishing and about writing and about relationships to one another, but I want to close our time first with a thank you to you both, but also to bringing us to our readers. So Rob, I'm going to ask you this question and then I'll turn and ask the same to Casey. Rob, I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you? Sure. Um, I'll have them go up to you and ask them for a pen and a piece of paper and to write or draw a story. 
writing the greatest gift <laughs> creating <laughs> uh, i can't even uh thank you could you please be my teacher and just tell me that when i come into school tomorrow <laughs> sorry uh casey i need to focus casey as you know <laughs> i will see a library full of children tomorrow morning is there a message i can bring to them from you yes please keep reading keep coming to the library Stories will always bring you closer to the people around you. And importantly, you will never, ever run out of books. This is Kate Narita, fourth grade teacher and author of the book, 100 Bugs, a Counting Book. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by Matthew Winner in his library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 400 episodes at matthewcwinner.com slash podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. Before we leave, I want to give a shout out to all of my patrons, those folks who are supporting the podcast and keeping the lights on care of our Patreon page. Thank you, Jenny, Sue, Amy, Sarah, Kate, Lisa, Darshna, Marianne, Jarrett, Anitra, Mike, Lynn, Link, Karina, Cynthia, Elaine, Doug, Judy, Amanda, Ruth, Laura, Teresa, and others who are coming with me on this journey. You're welcome to come with us, too. Just visit patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner and pick the support tier that's right for you. Teamwork makes the dream work, and each of you are helping to provide the tools necessary to make this podcast even greater. Thank you. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.